Good morning. It's weird to do Christmas Eve in the morning. But it's wonderful. We have the rest of the day and there's football. And, all right. So it is a little weird, but I think we're really going to enjoy this. And welcome if you are a guest. If this is not a church that you regularly attend, we're glad you're spending this Christmas Eve morning with us. And welcome also to those who are regular attenders. It's Christmas time. It's time for Christmas music, even though we started it in October, if we're honest. Ah, but at this time of year, it brings some feels. It brings uh, fond memories, at least for me, of my youth. This is a season as people take down their Halloween decorations, they often replace them with Christmas decorations of trees and fake snow because we're in the Bay Area. Blow-ups, and especially lights. I love Christmas lights. Like, truly love Christmas lights. There have been multiple evenings we have gone out to drive around and see Christmas lights, and it was interesting. I was having lunch with Jason this past week, and I drove through Willow Glen, and one of the funniest things I've ever experienced is going through Willow Glen where the Christmas lights are in the middle of the day when all the blow-ups are dead, and all the lights aren't on, and it just kind of looks like everyone kind of has too much stuff in their front yard. But when those lights turn on, when the darkness comes and the lights turn on, it is beautiful. Why? Because of the contrast between darkness and light. It is that contrast that sticks out. It is that contrast that accentuates the glow of the light. It is the brightness that sheds light on other things. And here is how we segue to Jesus because he said in John 8:12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this analogy of light in the darkness is what Jesus came to bring and do. His sinless life sacrificed for humankind that was without hope in their own effort. We have a God who loved the world so much that he sent his only son into the world to save the world through him. But this Christmas Eve... This day, the season, all point to the coming of this light that would enter into the world and shine into the darkness. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, also writes, he says in John 1, 4 through 5, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. So today, I want to get Back to the beginning of the New Testament portion of the Bible that rings in the arrival of the promised message that the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, promised and foreshadowed for thousands of years. We're going to be reading for, from the letter known as Luke. Luke was a doctor. He was a historian who was, from what we can tell, writing an account of Jesus' earthly ministry based on interviews with eyewitnesses over many years, and Luke writes this to who we believe is a Roman authority, and he tells him about Jesus's life and Jesus's death and his resurrection. So let's take a look at the beginning of the letter of Luke to set up what we're going to read today. Here's what he says in Luke chapter 1 verse 1, as Luke begins his letter, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, Luke says, 
Since I myself, Luke, carefully have investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of things you have been taught. Now Luke, this doctor, this historian, pays special attention to bring the truth to Theophilus so he too can know the person and work of Jesus. Today we have the final day in our holiday season before Christmas morning begins. For us as an American culture, at least, tomorrow signifies the day that we exchange gifts, we eat a larger than normal meal. Is anyone looking forward to this? It's a cheat day. And perhaps we see some family members that we don't usually see in our daily lives or some friends that we don't normally spend that much time with. But for the Christian, for the person who has found their identity in the person and work of Jesus, in his perfect life lived, his sacrificial crucifixion, and his victorious resurrection, tomorrow is about celebrating the incarnation, where God, in his beautiful will, decided to take off his royal robe, and he came and lived among his creation, being born of the Holy Spirit and a virgin. And yet, even though Jesus, the Messiah, would be born and grow, this was not the beginning of Jesus. I hope that's a takeaway for some of us, because Jesus has always been. John, speaking about Jesus, when John writes his gospel letter, known as John, he begins his account, and he alludes to Jesus by calling him the Word. The logos is the word that he uses in Greek. It means truth. And he says this at the beginning of his letter, John 1, 1 through 3, he says, in the beginning, just like Genesis 1, in the beginning was the word, logos, truth, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. And then we skip a few verses to point to he, John basically unpacks exactly who he's talking about. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. This is the Jesus that we celebrate coming into our world He has always been, he has always been with God, and he has always been God, but him coming to the earth, not through a portal, like in the MCU, but through the birth of a virgin and the Holy Spirit is how we too can identify with him. Because he did not come as God with a man mask, but Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, and everyone who's good at math is like, what? But look at how Luke describes the incarnation of the Son of God. Here's what he says later on in his letter, verse 27. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you, Mary, are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So uh, time context. So we're about to end 2023. Hallelujah and thank God. This is in about 2 AD, maybe 3 AD. Imagine Mary being told by an angel that she would be with child even though she was a virgin. She would have this child, a son, and she would name him Jesus, and this angel told her that her son would be great. Now, parents, I know you think your kids are great, all right? And they probably are. They probably are. But when an angel tells you this and tells you that his name will be Jesus and he would be called the son of the most high, he will have a throne of David and will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and ever. His kingdom will never, ever end. Yeah, he wins. Jesus is great. He's greater. In all of this, Luke is writing about from eyewitness accounts of what Mary was told And what she shares are confirmation of the prophecies that were written 500 years prior to what she is being told now. In 2 Samuel, Nathan, a prophet speaking to David, who was right before David became king, said this. In 2 Samuel, he said, 500 BC, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then we skip to 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. It's almost like the angel knows the Old Testament. And this is a pretty monumental moment in history that Luke is reporting that Mary has attested to, that the angel spoke to her, that the spirit documented through the words of the prophet Nathan a hundred, hundreds of years prior to this actually taking place. And Luke then reports the coming of Jesus and how God especially made this monumental moment in history come to fruition, spoken about so many years before. Listen with me as we read Luke's account of the coming of the Lord, born as a baby to Mary. Luke 2, 1. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David." He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Just being honest, it would have been a lot easier to just go on the internet and download the form and sign it and send it in, right? Verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were 
terrified just like any of us would be. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them, about this child, and we're still doing that today. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And then on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. This is the story of baby Jesus who grew up and lived the perfect life that each person on earth could never live themselves and did not do it to be better than us, but did it because sin, our sin, had fractured our connection to God. And so God, in his grace and love for mankind, decided to take off his royal robe and put on human flesh and live among us, not just as an example, but as a substitute as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And friends, today, the invitation is offered to you that God foreshadowed throughout all of the Old Testament, pointing to the coming of the Savior and the Lord who would redeem a people and call those people children of God. Isaiah, 700 years prior to Jesus being born to Mary, in Isaiah 7, 14 said, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That means God with us. And then later on, he says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light and those living in the land of deep darkness and a light has dawned. Verse 6, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then he goes on, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Later on in Isaiah, so we're 700 years prior to Jesus' birth. We're 700 B.C., if not, uh, give or take 20 years. And then in Isaiah 53, 
a very vivid and descriptive way of explaining about the coming of the Messiah, the suffering servant who was written about 700 years prior to Jesus' birth to Mary. Here's what Isaiah foretold. He was despised and rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering with a, with who was familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. We held him in low esteem. Surely he took on our pain. He bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, church, we are healed. I know it's hard to fathom 700 years prior to 3 AD, but these were the things that were said about the future Messiah who would come, and no one really expected him to come through the birth of a virgin and the Holy Spirit, even though Isaiah foretold to every Jewish person who had read what we know as the Old Testament, they had heard this, but they didn't understand it. And yet we hear At the end of 2023, in light of the gospel, the good news personified Jesus who has come and he has lived and he has died and he has risen. And it is based on those facts, church, that an invitation of life has been offered to us through the light of the world coming into our history to dwell among us. So church, friends, Acquaintances, what does all this mean? Well, it's not a sermon unless you quote Tim Keller, I think. And the late, great pastor Tim Keller, who went to be with the Lord this past year, said it this way regarding the birth of Christ. If Jesus Christ is really the mighty God and everlasting Father, you can't just like him. In the Bible, the people who actually saw and heard Jesus never reacted indifferently or even mildly or just looked up from their phone for a minute. Once they realized what he was claiming about himself, either they were scared of him or furious with him or they knelt down before him and worshiped him. But nobody simply liked him. Nobody said, oh, he's so inspiring. He makes me want to live a better life. No. If the baby born at Christmas is the mighty God, then you must serve him completely. There's a lot of misconceptions about Jesus, church. This is why 52 Sundays a year and in community groups and any other events we do as a church community, we are committed to pledging our allegiance to Jesus crucified, resurrected, and through explaining and expounding from the Bible how it points to Jesus, how it foreshadows Jesus, how it points back to Jesus, we do this because we believe God's revealed his will to his creation and the purpose and point of this, the purpose and point of this, the purpose and point of your life is to know this Jesus who lived and died and resurrected from the dead. So you can be in relationship with God through his only son. And the light of the world has come to take us out of darkness and into his marvelous 
light. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a couple, a few more songs. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And I want to close with this. I want to close with the story. If you've been here a while, you've heard the story. If you haven't been here a while, this is your first time, you haven't heard the story. But it applies for me when I think of Christmas. I'm four years old. I grew up in Southern California, in Glendale, California. Anyone know where that is? Okay. So I'm driving on the 210, not the 210, the 210, like the King's Academy or the Ohio State. Um, And I'm driving on the 210 with my dad. I'm four. I'm obviously not driving. And we're driving to Fedco. Anyone? Come on. Yeah, Karen. So we're driving to Fedco. It was like a better Costco. And as we're driving to Fedco, I'm young, and on this mountaintop or this hill, I see what looks like, to me, a lit-up T. I'm like, my name starts with T? Cool. And I say to my dad, Dad, what's that T on top of that mountain? Because it's nighttime, it's lit up, it's bright, can't really see much around it. You just can tell it's a hill with a T. My father, who did not believe, was agnostic, uh, had a really bad experience with the Catholic Church when he was younger, wanted nothing to do with religion, wanted nothing to do with God. I said, Dad, what is that T? And he said, oh, that's a cross. I said, what's a cross? I'm try- that's what I sound like when I was younger. What's a cross? And he said, he said well, a cross is, uh, it, it signifies something that Christians believe. What are Christians? And, and this is literally how I was. Well, Christians are people that believe in God. What's God? And we're just going back and forth. And my dad was so patient with me. And he said, well, God is someone that Christians believe uh, came in a man named Jesus. Who's Jesus? I'll get to it, son. I don't know if he said it that way, but that's how I would say it to my kids now. And he started to explain to me the story of Jesus, born of a virgin. This is what Christians believe. This is, and he's telling me all of this, and I'm listening to him, and I'm asking him questions. And then I said, so what happened to Jesus? Well, he died on a cross, which is what you're looking at. Why did he die on the cross? Well, he claimed to be God, and people didn't agree with him. Well, was he God? Well, Christians believe that he's God. Oh, then what happened? Well, Christians believe he resurrected from the dead. What? Seriously? Well, that's what Christians believe. Total monotone Bueller voice. I remember my dad doing that Bueller. And he says, well, Christians believe he resurrected from the dead. And I said, wow. This is 39 years ago, church. I'm 43 now. Yay. 39 years ago, I said to my father, Hey, Dad, you said he died. You said he resurrected. Christians believe he's alive. Can I meet him? And my dad, on the 210 before we got off to get to Fedco, said, Tim, it it doesn't work that way. 39 years later, I'm here to tell you it does. It does work that way. If you would trust that this baby who came into our history wasn't just a baby, he grew up. And he was the promised Messiah who would live the life we could not live and die the death that we deserve to die. And he physically rose from the dead and we put our trust and faith and allegiance in him. So my dad was wrong. I met him many years later 
through a bunch of other circumstances. But if you today are going, hey, I want to know this Jesus that this guy in the red shirt keeps talking about, we'd encourage you to talk to somebody that you saw up here. We'd encourage you to fill out a card and drop it in the box as you leave. But let's, let's not pretend that there's not an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. It really just starts with us being willing to realize we need him. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song, and then I'm going to come back up here, and I'm going to tell you why we have those candles. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that this story, every single time I read it, blows my mind a bit more that you would leave the confines of heaven in eternity, take off your royal robe and come live among us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you that it makes all the difference in the world, that if I trust you, my life makes significantly more sense. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Christmas Eve. I thank you for each soul that's in this building and listening online. And God, we ask that you would do miracles in the hearts of people that maybe just don't know you yet. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.